Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everybody. And uh, if you are noticing anything different, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, it's because we are presenting for the very first time an enhanced version of Sega Talk with us uh, looking at you and um, maybe like, you know, uh, drinking water. So if you're listening to it audio only, you're not missing a whole bunch. So don't worry. We're not going to be like, hey, that's a really cool color. Yeah, if only you could see it. but, uh, yeah, so what is Sega Talk? Well, if this is your first time joining us, every episode we touch on a game from Sega's history, and it uh, could be at any point in time. Um, so far, we're hitting a lot of the classics. We have hit a few stinkers. Um, I think you can look at our back catalog and figure out which ones those, or at least one specific episode is. Uh, but on this episode, we are going to be covering a very important Sega game, and that is... Sonic the Hedgehog. So, uh, this is the second time we're doing Sonic the Hedgehog. Last time yeah. was uh, the 2006 one. That's right, and I think the reason we did that was because we thought it would be funny to cover 06 before this one. But it also shows that we're not going in order. You might, you know, get a later game in a franchise, and then we jump back to the original one. Um, so let's talk a bit about Sonic. Actually, let's talk about it for the rest of the hour. So, seen as one of Sega's most popular games, 1991 Sonic the Hedgehog, developed by Sonic Team, was a turning point for the company. With the game's release, Sega was, despite seeing some successes, essentially rebooting the Mega Drive Genesis in the West. Combining time-honored platforming gameplay with speeds that past hardware was unable to realize, Sonic quickly became a must-own game and in turn made the Genesis a must-own console. George, do you remember the marketing leading up to Sonic's release? Uh, I don't. I was way too young, and I actually didn't grow up a Sega fan. I guess I wasn't like privileged enough for my parents to like Sega. My my parents were pretty basic, so like they only really liked whatever was popular, which was Nintendo, right? That's like a mm. home brand, and they only watched Spanish TV. So like even as a little kid, toddler, like I would never watch English TV, and it seemed like mm-hmm. their marketing was really heavily focused, obviously, on English speaking. Uh, Americans than it was on Spanish-speaking Americans, which is 100% fine, but I'm just saying I didn't see it. I just played the game randomly at one of my cousin's house, and then uh, I played two first, then I played one later when they had, like, this, you know, when they had the collection, the six-pack collection that it came with, uh, Streets of Rage. So that was my experience with it. What about you, Barry? Well, it's interesting because typically when we do these and we talk about a sequel I always, or at least the original game, I always say, oh, I played the sequel first. But uh, I can easily say that Sonic the Hedgehog was probably the first video game I owned, the first Sega game I owned, my introduction to Sega, my introduction to Sonic the Hedgehog, and, you know, my introduction to video games. And um, I still have the original copy. Uh, It has the corner broken off, which has always bothered me. I don't know when that happened, like, to the case. And then um, on the back of it, I have... uh, (laughs) I'm really sad to say a Legend of Zelda sticker with my name on it. It's like nothing wrong with Legend of Zelda, man. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I think, uh, but I think it's interesting because at, that kind of shows that at the time I wasn't a, really aware of the split between what Sega was 
and what um, Nintendo was. Like, I wasn't like, oh, these are different companies. For me, it was just like, these are video games. So, of course, if I have a sticker, a label from a video game that goes on another video game, it, it makes sense. But nowadays, I'm like, why would I put that on the back of there? It's blasphemy um, now, right? I know, right? I mean, I, I should probably quit uh, Sega uh, podcasting forever. But, um, yeah, so it, it was my first console. I got it in, I believe... I got it Christmas 1991. That's the story I stick by. Uh, in fact, yeah, I, I got it. My, I think my dad gave it to me. It might have been a joint gift between him and my grandma. Um, it was the pack-in. And I first played Sonic on a black and white TV on my grandma's kitchen table. <laughs> and so... Um, you didn't get to see all the missing colors. Remember that was a big thing for the marketing when people were talking about how much more the Super Nintendo had more colors? Didn't even matter. True. You only had you only saw it in black and white anyway. Yeah, but I think what's interesting is because that was my introduction um, to Sonic in black and white. I wasn't noticing the colors. I was noticing the backgrounds and how they moved, and that was kind of new for the time, wasn't it? Yeah, that seemed yeah, it was pretty new. Like at least to that effect, where it was like three three layers or two layers of like. I think the Japanese version is the one that had the more parallax. What is it called? Like parallax scrolling. Uh, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, I was going to say, do you remember the ads for it? I don't. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny. I, I must because I think what it was was that I was like, I was telling my dad, like, you know, I want to get a video game machine. And I know I knew I had the choice between Sega and Nintendo. But I think what it was was, was the Super Nintendo out by then? It was. Uh, I think it might have been i think it was like really really close to it i think it was like a, a respond to the fact that super nintendo was going to come out because the genesis came out like in 89 or something right or 88. right yeah 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 so it i think it really came down to price and the pack-in game and um i for some reason I, I have this memory of being in my basement and talking to my dad about it and like trying to explain it to him but i didn't really understand it at the time and i was like well, there's two of them. There's a Sega machine and a Nintendo machine, but I think the Sega one's cheaper and it comes with this game with this with this like blue guy, you know. So the blue guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and so I, I think that's where it ends. I don't. Maybe I saw some commercials, maybe some magazine ads, but I didn't really have a firm idea of what the game was all about until I got it. And did you regret it? No, uh, yeah, I do. I, yeah, if you've seen if you've seen all the, the Sonic crap that I've amassed over the years, no, I don't regret it at all. I mean, you remember we did our our podcast with um, Al Nilsson and uh, Tom Kalinske, and like, as a kid, I would have never dreamed of doing that. Yeah, I like, know. That's, Same. That's insane. Like, I, 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 it's still one of my few pinch me moments. Um, I should pinch myself because it's video <laughs> for some people. Um, but. Yeah, and I mean, I've met some of the Japanese team members, but I don't think I've met anyone who worked on Sonic 1. Um, and we'll actually... Let's let's get into them uh, right now. So, it's commonly known that Sonic's creation was a reaction in to Nintendo's Mario, with Sega looking internally to replace the failing Alex Kidd mascot oh. with something more exciting. An internal competition led to Naoto Oshima, a designer who had previously worked on the Fantasy Star series, submitting several designs including sketches of a mustachioed man in pajamas. And if you want to know, mustachioed means like an elaborate mustache. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I didn't know it had a specific meaning. I thought it was just any guy with a mustache. Um, a rabbit who could pick up items with his ears and a hedgehog. And from what I've been reading, the hedgehog was more of like a doodle. Like it wasn't really that as concrete as the rabbit. Um, Oshima then teamed with fantasy star programmer Yuji Naka, and the two began to discuss a game where speed played a key role. And Naka spoke of this in the 20th anniversary documentary for the series. So I'm going to do my best Yuji Naka impression, which probably sounds like my Yu Suzuki impression, which sounds exactly like me. So Um, he said, I like fast things, and I thought it would be nice to create a game where the more skilled you become, the faster you compete a stage. Complete. Games back then had no backup or saving system, which meant that you had to play right from the beginning each time. As a result, the very first stage would be played time and time again, making the player very skilled at it. So we thought it would be nice if this would enable the player to complete these stages faster, and that's the basis of Sonic's speed. We also thought this feature would help differentiate Sonic from Mario. So our next topic, our point of uh, discussion, is how do you feel that... Do you feel that this design philosophy succeeded? Uh, in the first <laughs> one, I think in like Green Hill Zone, one of Sega's favorite levels to uh, bring back. Um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of did. You know, it was like I remember it being like the fastest one, but then all of a sudden you get to what, like what's the lava one? Lava Reef, I think, or what was it called? No, no, marble, right? That's the second stage, ain't it? Yeah, the one where you have to stop a lot. Like, there's a lot of like stopping and pushing stones. There was a lot of yeah, stop yeah. and go. They kind of like dropped that from the sequels, but in this one, it's very heavy on that. I think is maybe they wanted to slow you down so you wouldn't beat the game too quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that kind of was a bump in the road for them, and I, I think they learned from that in the sequel. I think this is something Sega does a lot, right? Where they, the sequel's always like a lot more uh, defined of what they wanted it to be. But uh, right. I think. The whole speed thing, I think a lot of people... I don't know. Like, it felt to me like it was more uh, slow. I mean, what do you think? I mean, am I crazy? That no, Sonic I don't think you're crazy slower. at all. And you make a very good point. I mean, we've said this every time we talk about... You know, I don't think we've covered any sequels yet on Sega Talk. And so every time we talk about the first game, we go, Oh, but the sequel did this, this, and this better. And Sonic 2 obviously did a lot of things better than the first, or at least improved... On. I don't want to say better because I, I like both games equally, really. Um, I wouldn't say better. It's... I said it's more like um, the gimmick that Sonic kind of had with the marketing. Like the marketing mm. was obviously speed. It is the fastest game in, in the world or whatever. And yeah. it's way faster than Mario. Mario can't catch up. And this the sequel kind of defined that more than this game. That's okay. It. Yeah. So you you think the sequel was more in line with that philosophy that Naka was talking about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. So I yeah I think you know it's it's interesting you bring up Marble because you know the first stage Green Hill it's near perfect like it's it's so clear that they put so much work into that you can play it time and time again. Um, I I believe I wrote an article about how Green Hill was a um, like a tutorial stage that wasn't a tutorial stage and. Um, you know, y- y- within the first screen, you're introduced to every element. Uh, attacking enemies, collecting items, platforms, um, running up hills. So, you know, I-, I think it's a brilliantly designed stage. Marble, I love the music, I love the aesthetics. Um, I mean, the blorp, the fireball blorp is my favorite Genesis sound. But 
it, it was very clear that they were still kind of stuck in the past because they were like, well, this is a platformer, so we need to make a game with platforming, you know? Yeah, this one was way more heavy on that. <laughs> yeah, and so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was um, a misstep, I think, or at least not a misstep, but just when you look forward to the other games, Marble definitely does f- kind of stick out. Um, but then again, you get into Spring Yard, and we'll talk about the other stages later, but, you know, Spring Yard, Labyrinth, Starlight. Uh, maybe Scrap Brain moves it back into that Marble territory where it's kind of more like dip- difficult platforming. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so... I, 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 to answer the second part of the question which you answered is I do think that there are zones where the game kind of falls flat in that design philosophy but never fails like it's still a great game it's just when you read Naka, uh, Naka's quote there and then apply it to the game as a whole you're like eh doesn't I think it also has fully ha- work yeah I think it also has to do a lot with the fact that this team had to get this game out there <laughs> like they were competing with the Super Nintendo right you gotta like hyper console up and make it something that people want to buy and I think Sonic the Hedgehog I think just design wise sold the console yeah. to a lot of people so yeah yeah I agree um so the next part we're gonna talk about simplicity simplicity was a key component in the game's design with the team opting for a single button rather than two button approach seen in the Mario games. An interesting choice given the Genesis had three buttons to work with, or you know, six if you had the six button pad, but they I don't think there were ever any like mandatory games. But anyway. Uh, director and game planner Hirokazu Yashuhara, who had previously worked on Fatal Labyrinth, initially joined the team to help tackle the self-imposed single button limit. And the solution was combining jump and attack, making the hero character a projectile. And as such, the hedgehog design was the ideal option. So, what's your opinion on... uh, I I guess I I just deleted... (laughs) I I think we lost a little portion there, unfortunately. Oh, no, 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 you know, we talked about them earlier, so I'm sorry. Uh, What's your opinion on the discarded character designs that I mentioned earlier? Because, um, obviously, they went with the hedgehog, but during this process they still kind of figured they might go with the rabbit, they might go with the mustache guy. The, the mustache guy obviously was moved on to Eggman's design. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I would say the rabbit was really cool looking. I really like the idea that it's like, um, I guess now you could say Cuphead design. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's very old school classic design in, in its look. I like the rabbit. I wish they would bring him back. I think they did bring him back, didn't they? Like in a comic or something. Well, I, I didn't want to say the F word, but uh, he's in forces. Oh, you can he, you can make the rabbit. Oh, there you go. He's back. But uh, <laughs> I thought the idea but, that he picked things up with his ears was cool, but obviously it wouldn't work as a speed game. And I guess that's kind of yeah. like where uh, Ristar came from. That exactly. idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think the rabbit one had potential. I think someone... I wouldn't be shocked if a fan game exists of that rabbit and that idea, um, but I, I think there is something there. I think a developer should kind of try something with that sort of uh, idea. I, I think Eggman or whatever, who was like the mustache guy in the pajamas was a terrible, terrible idea for a game. Like if yeah. they think Alex Kidd is not, you know, selling units, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't think 
Sega's higher ups were ever like, yeah, he would, you'd be the best choice. I think he was probably at the very bottom. I, I think um, it was part of the trend that was going on in this era, kind of like where they were trying to copy Mario, like mm. having a unconventional character design for a lead. Like I think Adventure Island did it too. So I mean, okay. I can see it that way. But yeah, okay. Sonic's I I like Sonic because I think he's like. Design-wise, he's very really appealing to people, and that's why I think he's popular, even if a bad game comes out. Right. That, that's a really good point, actually. So you think Sonic's design is so strong that he can carry a bad game? Yeah, it's kind of like Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man has a design where people <laughs> just are drawn to that character. Yeah, that's and true. I, think... I mean, yeah. I, I don't like the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but I'll still watch the action scenes because I like the character design and what he or, can do. Or you'll buy merch. Or whatever, yeah. you know. What I mean, people buy merch of stuff they probably dislike, like Star Wars fans. Uh, they buy, <laughs> they still buy all the merch, even though they hate the franchise. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because this video is cropped, but if you look this way, there's a bunch of Star Wars merch. But you're, you're not, not gonna one see of that. the you're not one of the haters, so I'm not talking about you. No, I'm not a hater. I I like fun. I like adventure. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, would uh, agree with you on uh, all your points. Um, the next question is, do you think the key or a key to Sonic's success was being more simple than Mario? Because let's remember, uh, Super Mario World was out at this time. And that's actually a pretty complex Mario game. Yeah. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's what it is. I still think that the character design was so strong that it pushed the units and in mainstream. Mm. Because a lot of people, when you watch the commercials, they're not thinking... That looks simple, um, so I wouldn't go that far. But I did. I would say that it is very simple, and I never really thought about it until like I was reading an article a long time ago on uh, UK Resistance, a Sega fan uh, ran blog, and he great had, site. Yeah, and he it's dead now, but he had a, a blog post where he visited uh, Sega UK or he visited one of the offices, and he yeah. was making a joke about how look. Even the elevator is simple controls. Sonic Team is great. It was uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't think it sold it, but I do think it made it more accessible to kids at the time when they actually mm. got to play it. Yes, yes, I I definitely agree. That was actually the point I was going to make. Is that in the marketing they were never like it's just one button, folks. You don't have to jump on Yoshi and collect eggs. Not that you know. Um, because to be honest, I didn't really play Super Mario World until much later, and I haven't owned it since until I got the uh, SNES Classic. And that's a, I don't really like it. It's a little too, not complex, but I'm just like playing it. And I'm like, can I just be Mario? Because every single time I lose Yoshi, I kind of feel like I'm not playing the game right. Person, um. <laughs> I personally love World. I, I, I think it's, a, I mean, I have a bit, strong opinion on World, but... Uh, we're not, this is not about wor uh, Mario World, so I'm not no, going to get into no. it. We'll be here all day. Cut it. Cut it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So so when kids actually got their hands on the game, that's where I think the game would have fallen flat if there were, like, multiple buttons. So if it was, like, and, I mean, you know, we're talking about modern Sonic now. Um, you sit down with a controller and playing Sonic the Hedgehog 1, you run forward, you jump. Um, I actually uploaded a video of my mom playing Sonic Mania, and yeah. she does not play video games at all, and she made it to the boss of um, Green Hill Act 1. Now, if I, I haven't done it yet, and I want to do it next time she visits, which should be at the end of, uh, end of this month. Is she going to um, play uh, I, Forces? That's what I want to do, oh. because... 
Because when you sit down with forces, um, you know, and we're talking about it because it's the latest Sonic game, there are a lot of options. And I mean, same with um, Unleashed, too. But when you think about it, it's like, it really goes against what Sonic Team was trying to do. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, there's like, you can, you know, go left and right, and you can jump, and you can do homing attack, and you can do light speed dash, and you can, like, every button has to do something. Whereas with Sonic 1, every button did the same thing. And I don't think people ever really thought of that. They were just like, well, yeah, you jump, you press a button and jump. <laughs> you, you know? think that Sonic Team maybe should start thinking about simplifying the modern gameplay? Absolutely. I mean, you look at Sonic Adventure, and there were still... I, I don't think the controls... I think that was a n nice in-between point because you didn't have to use the triggers. You just had to use... I think you only... There were like two or three action buttons, right? But mm -hmm. really, you could get through a whole stage with one of them. And I'm trying to think of what they did. One... Oh, because... Well, it made sense because you can't press down and do the spin dash, so there was a spin dash button. That made sense because it's in 3D. Yeah. And then there was the jump button, and then there was the light speed dash, which was more of like a... Upgrade? Like a, yeah, and like a gimmick. Like, it yeah. hardly ever showed up. I hardly use it. Um, it was like an but, idea they had, and then they're like, oh, we, we forgot to put it in the levels. Oh, oh well. Yeah, so, so I, think, I think that, you know, talking about it, I don't think it was a key to the success in, in selling the game, but it was definitely a key in how the game played. And I think it's something that Sonic Team has lost sight of, and I feel like... I want, I want like, someone to give them... I want someone to sit them down and say, make the next Sonic game. And they're like, great, okay, give us money. And they're like, okay, we'll give you money, we'll give you all this. But here's the thing, you can only use two buttons. And they'd be like, oh, make a game that you can play with two buttons, and then you can add all the other buttons. You know? <laughs> you, you think they would uh, do that, though? I don't think so. I think they're pretty no. uh, stuck on their ways now. Yeah, I, I don't think they would. I think Azuka would, like, cross his arms and just do nothing um <laughs> so uh the next bit we're going to talk about so taking 11 months to complete with a team of eight am8 who would dumb them dub dub themselves sonic team were nearing completion of their game while characters like sonic eggman the badniks and animal friends were realized in game japan and america had very different ideas of the game's story so during development the working plot in japan had Sonic in a band with a human girlfriend named Madonna, and Eggman was just an enemy in a Bumblebee suit. This You can see this in some of the artwork, and um, I, I think the Eggman-Bumblebee thing was probably phased off pretty f early on. Um, and the story was simplified. So after all this, the story was simplified with Sonic defending South Island from Dr. Eggman. Pretty simple. So That's way more simple. Do, do you... Yeah, so do you think the original plot of Sonic in a band with a human girlfriend would have led to as successful a game if those elements were in the game? Like, mm, I, I, don't, I don't think it would have ruined Sonic, but I, I think the, uh, a lot of uh, the charm of the game and, like, wonderment of yeah. the game would have been, like, kind of dead. Like, I, I think a lot of the thing that made the game interesting was not answering questions for you, like... Oh, what's going on here? There's just Sonic versus Eggman. Okay, cool. Let's play. Like I didn't need right. to. Know, I didn't have to have a cutscene with him like rocking out on a guitar and telling me he's extreme. <laughs> like this whole, like, like a lot of people even say that that it, at this point Sonic was pretty ex extreme or whatever. Like 
He was mm. part of the uh, early 90s, and he kind of aged badly in the 90s. But it's like, was he really like that in the games? Like, in the games, he wasn't like that, but in other media, he was. No, I, I think the design itself is very timeless. Um, and we'll we'll get to the, the design, too. But I, I, I think it's more in how you draw him. Um, because really, you look at him, there's nothing to him that screams 90s. Like, if anything, Sonic became defined the 90s. I don't think there were elements of the 90s, because it was 1991, so obviously it wasn't like we're in the end of the 90s and someone's like, oh, let's, uh, let's look at everything that has happened and develop a character that, you know, exemplifies that. If anything, he was, like, I don't know. It's like you look at something that's, you know... Uh, you know, like, of the 80s, and you go, oh, that's so 80s, but the 80s didn't make it. It kind of defined the 80s, and I think the same thing goes with Sonic. And and it moved, you know, with the new design, I really look at the Sonic Adventure one, and I think of the 2000s, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't think it would ruin it, but I don't think it would improve it either. I like the more simplified uh, version they went with. Like, does he mm-hmm. really need a human girlfriend? Then you start asking yourself, why does this... Uh, animal like this animal have a, a human girlfriend i i, I yeah. think i think it was really like uh influenced by roger rabbit or something right yeah that's a good point yeah and of course madonna the the singer i think they were really going i think the music and again we'll touch on that in a little bit was so good that maybe that kind of played a part they're like oh we have we have an actual band doing the music like a, a guy who has a band let's put sonic in a band let's really make it all about music there's madonna there's the guitar um i think it's how that it's all in how they would have implemented it if it was just like there were hints that sonic was in a band like you saw maybe um like the options menu or the sound test had him playing with a band and then maybe the final stage had you rescuing madonna it yeah. really it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made it any different and i think the game still would have been a success but there would be those weird plot points where you're like yeah, Sonic was awesome. There was like he had a girlfriend in the first game. It was kind of weird. Yeah, you know. I, I like the idea. Um, I like the idea that he was playing the music in the game. Like him and his band wrote all the music in the game. That's pretty. That's a pretty cool idea. That would be cool. Yeah, because if it was if they had the sound test of them playing it, then yeah, that's their their music. Yeah. Um, maybe <laughs> they could do something like what's that canceled Kamiya game where he, they like put on the headphones and then the music starts playing with the dragon. Oh, uh, Scalebound. <laughs> yeah, they could do a Scalebound thing where it's quiet, and then Sonic's like, all right, let's go, and he puts on his headphones and starts running. I'm pretty um, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would have <laughs> been cool. But, I mean, not the headphone thing, but the whole band playing thing would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, but you kind of see that with, I mean, unrelated, but Jet Set Radio, where the sound, the music is coming from within their headphones, so. Yeah. Side, sidebar there. Um So let's talk about the American side of things. So Sega of America president and CEO Michael Katz saw the work coming from Japan and hated it. And he sent them a list of 10 reasons why the concept would never work in America. And he sent this to Japan headquarters, so it was a pretty big deal. And um, he even started the process to design a Sega of America character. Now, I'm not sure if he was going to do like a Mario 2 thing where it would have been like a reskinned game for America. That would have sucked. That would have been terrible. Yeah, that would have but, been <laughs> um, But thankfully, this process ended when Tom Kalinske took over Katz's role with the director of marketing, Al Nilsson, and others working with Tom, where they Tom saw some things that didn't work. Like, I'm pretty sure he didn't like the band. 
maybe he didn't like maybe he just didn't like Madonna. Um, Sonic had fangs, um, but he he took a lighter approach, and we saw that in the finished product. So basically, they shaped a more westernized Sonic, which kind of influenced the original the game in Japan being developed, but really influenced the um, marketing materials, the packaging, things like that. You know, that's where the butt eye. Sonic comes from. That's a word I don't like using, though. Um, but they, they requested changes, they removed the fangs, they created softer curves, which just sounds a little sexual, um, and completely changed Eggman to Dr. Robotnik, and they gave him a far more sinister face on all of the marketing. So, what is your opinion on the Americanized Sonic and Robotnik designs? So, I have different opinions on both. Okay, so, like... Yeah. I like the Japanese more anime look, personally. Where I think he has, he looks cleaner. His uh, the artwork's a lot better. Yeah. But as a Doctor Eggman, I, I'm in that boat with everybody else online. Where every time I do an article and I call him Eggman, everybody's like, "You mean Doctor Robotnik?" <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I I, I like Doctor Robotnik better, so I go with personally in my heart, he's always Doctor Robotnik because it kind of basically tells you everything you need to know about him it's like mm. he makes robots he's dr robotnik and uh it is yeah it is very on the nose and the whole sinister look i mean i guess i could complain about it but not really because when i was a kid and every time i would see that artwork it really made it seem like here's the bad guy and here's the good guy let's go right it's very simple yeah mm. so you you thought the eggman design was a little too happy yeah, it kind of makes him, in the Japanese one, he looks like a kind of a Joe character, which he actually was always meant to be, I guess. Because, I mean, now, when yeah, he, he's voiced, yeah. he's like the funniest character in the Sonic games, right? Right, right. Yeah. But but that, that uh, the redesigning of Sonic is, it, even if they changed the, the sprite within the game, which they didn't, but even if they did, you wouldn't notice it because it was so kind of, you know, like, you look at the, the American design and then you look at the Japanese design side by side and you can see the differences like the, the ears have a little more of a like swoopiness to them which are the curves I think they were talking about um, he also, looks a little ang he looks angry in the yeah. American one they also um, kind of made him a little chubbier yeah yeah they gave him more of a belly and yeah it's uh, but it's strange because you know they had Greg Martin redraw basically the Japanese art on the American box and he gave Sonic more of a round head. Um, the spines are a little more droopy. So it's I think it's more subtle. I I do see the difference, but um, the Eggman Robotnik thing was much, much bigger a deal, I think, at least in terms of you know how much change they did um, for the marketing. And to me, I prefer the Japanese designs for both of them and the names for both of them. Um, Robotnik, for me, I really got into Sonic with the uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and the comic books. Like, I played the games, and the games were just, like, a thing that I liked to play. It wasn't like, I, I wouldn't go, oh, I'm a Sonic fan. I would just be like, yeah, I own the first game. Um, but then when those those shows started coming out in the comics, I really grew to like that Robotnik. But I never... I, I had a little... Like, I, I noticed that the character looked different in the games and I knew well enough that the designs were different. And so now that we call him Eggman again, he, to me, he was always Eggman in my mind. I just didn't know it. And I look at the Robotnik design like in uh, 
the the one where he's like you know the pingus yeah that with one. the, with the <laughs> yeah. black and red eye yeah like that to me that's robotnik the adventures of sonic the hedgehog one and i you know the uh the comics and things like that so um i see much more of a difference there it's not like there's American Sonic and Japanese Sonic, and they're super different. It's more like if Japanese Sonic just got a little angry, he would get that little butt in his eyebrows. Yeah, that, <laughs> so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the music. So the game's music was composed by Masato Nakamura of the game of the game of the band Dreams Come True, and the score was composed as though it was for a film creating music tracks that evoked what was on screen. Did your ears pick up on this when you were playing the game? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> when you're a kid, you don't really think too much about the music, and a, and a lot of times you probably play it on mute, especially if you're yeah. sneaking in at night to uh, get a couple games in. But yeah. um, I, I always really liked the soundtrack. Something about it was really catchy. I, I never really thought about it like film music, per se, like... I always think of uh, film music more of a, like, I don't even know what to say, like, dramatic. This wasn't that dramatic. It was very catchy and, like, repetitive. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. did you think of it as film music? I, I wouldn't say until the sequel that I really did because there were cutscenes. Um, and, you know, remember the, uh, the with with tails and the plane and it's like in black and white and they show him and the music's playing and it's um uh what is it it's basically like stranger in moscow <laughs> playing. Yeah, yeah yeah but but it feels very cinematic and there's like an ending like an act you know like a true kind of uh kind of orque- orchestral um build up to the end so i feel like it was much more apparent in the sequel and especially in three because they had cutscenes. um but uh, I kind of get what they were going for. Um, the, I know nowadays, yeah. No, I was gonna say in like even the labyrinth zone, like there's that part where the water starts filling up and you have to get to Eggman. It's kind of like yeah. a chase scene in the movie. That's true. And it, it kind of reminds me of what games are doing now. Like Uncharted got popular for this, where it has like huge action scenes. Sonic One already tried to do that back then, if you think about it. And it's still they still try to do it with big action scenes, like. Sonic Forces had the spaceship one where you're like yeah. jumping on spaceships, but yeah, they still they did that in this one, and the music worked for that for sure. Though I I don't think they I'm trying to remember in Sonic One I don't think when those events happened that the music changed. I think mm. it was still the act music. I think in Sonic Three was where they really started to do the thing where it was like um the you'd be playing the stage and then the sub boss would appear. And then you would go on a chase, and then the music would be faster. And that's where it really felt like someone was um, scoring the music. It wasn't just like, you know, uh, um, Angel Island Zone music playing the entire time with no break. Like, you would get little... Uh, Knuckles would appear, you know, and be like... So, that's really no different from, like, watching a movie like Star Wars and a character's theme comes on when they show up. So, um... I think kind of like with what we were saying with Yuji Naka's design philosophy, these were things that they started in the first game, but they really fine-tuned and perfected in the later games. For sure. Yeah. Um, what's your personal favorite uh, music track? Uh, Starlight is pretty cool. Uh, I, I like them all. It's kind of hard to pick one on this one, but I would probably go with that one. It's kind of weird. I, I don't agree. Know, does, does this game have a bad sound like track in it? 
<sighs> I think special stage can get grating, but then again, who listens to the special special stage music, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like, like and it was can... like the most annoying uh, stage too. I mean, the yeah, yeah. It it didn't help that when you're listening to this relaxing music, you're trying to like really hard to move around, and the gem things are making the dunk 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 noise. And you're um, hoping that you don't fall right through to the exit in thing. Yeah, exactly. But um. In terms of my favorite track, I would agree with you on Starlight. That was my favorite one. And there was actually a episode of Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog where they go to Starlight Zone in space. They don't have the music or anything, but I just remember thinking, oh, they're going to my favorite stage. Oh, um, so that's your favorite episode. Probably. They go in outer space. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but Labyrinth, uh, that music's pretty, pretty cool. Spring Yard's cool. Marble, I do really like marble music. Uh, that's kind of like, it's an annoying stage to play, but the music's good, so you kind of put up with it. So weird that me. It's so weird that they made that stage the second stage. Like, they could have set it anywhere they wanted, and they're like, this stage is the second thing they should experience after that Green Hill Zone fast stage, right? Yeah, well, this isn't a question, but would you, would you reorganize the stage order? Probably, I, I don't know. Like, I would make them redesign Marble, but uh, that's just me. I, I think that if they made it a little more speedier, it probably would have... I guess people say that this game aged badly. I don't think so. I think the philosophy of speed was more forefront after this game. That's what happened. Yeah. But yeah. Well, you know, you look at the stage progression and you have... Because um, we're going to talk about the stages here, so I might as well. Uh, the game's divided into six zones with three acts each. Um, a boss at the end of each one, and then there's also a final stage and special stage. So the ones we have are Green Hill, Marble, Spring Yard, Labyrinth, Starlight, Scrap Rain, and then the final stage. Um, so, you know, with that progression, you had Green Hill, as we discussed, very well designed. Marble, um, kind of annoying, but it, you know, it, it follows your very standard platforming, which works against the way that Sonic plays. There are very few parts in Marvel where you're running really fast. If anything, you're running. And, but it teaches you. That's the thing. I, that's why I like Marvel as the second state. It teaches you that even though you can run fast, there are going to be hazards ahead. And so even though Spring, Spring Yard, which comes next, is a very fast and fun and open stage, you're now on your toes from Marvel thinking, okay, well, so, something could change. And sometimes it does. Like, there's an enemy or spikes. Um... Uh, I think they did a good job alternating between annoying stages or zones um, because Labyrinth comes next. Yeah. And no one like Like, who likes the water stages? Nobody. I don't think they're saying Nobody. No. <laughs> and, like, they um, kind of made, like, Sonic's character <coughs> kind of, like, that he can't swim and that he's, uh... Yeah. Like, he hates it to himself. So it's like, oh, we have to do this. It's a chore. Yeah, yeah, um, and there's some cool parts to it, but I, I think Sonic Mania did a better job with their water stages just because there was um, fewer opportunities to drown. Um, but then we get in Starlight, great stage, fun stage. I think it's a, I think Starlight's the great a great mix of platforming and careful jumping and speedy segments, um, and then the music's just so relaxing. Like you could die to that music, and you do a lot of times when yeah. you play. You're like. Uh, duh, 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 and it's like boom and you died you go oh, well. 
Um, Scrap Brain is probably the stage I'm least... I have fewest memories of just because I don't really like replaying it. And Do you I, think that that it's a hard stage? I, I can't really recall. I would say it's like... I mean, is the game really that hard if you think about it? Uh, I, I like no. the name of it, though. Scrap Brain. Who thought of that name? Japanese? It's a sweet name. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and then the, the, uh-huh. final, the final the stage right That's, here. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I was like, oh, this is the hardest finale. Now, it's, it's like a normal boss fight. Like, there are harder boss fights in later games oh, yeah, than the for final sure. stage. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. So... I mean, really, all you do is you, you wait, and the the things come down, and they miss you almost every time. You might have to jump once in a while. Stand off to the side, and then basically just jump and hope he's in one of the two right ones. I mean, ballsy people will jump around, but I always just stood in the safe area. Always. Um, play it safe. Always. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite stage? I know we talked a lot about Starlight, but you like the music. Did you... Do you have a different favorite stage? I, no, I like Starlight and I like Green Hill Zone. I think those are the two best stages. Uh, Green Hill mm. Zone, I, I know Green Hill. I'm, we're, at this point, we're kind of tired of Green Hill, but like when this <laughs> game came out, it was very refreshing to be able to just... I mean, this is the game, the stage you always play because they didn't have a save feature, so every time you uh, put the cartridge back in, you had to play it. And sometimes you would just play that level, and then I would just play that level and then turn it off. That's, that, that's all I needed, right? And True, I but would... they did. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was no. gonna say they, they they did have the um, the stage select, which I don't think people knew about initially. But after a few years, I think it really was out there. So yeah, it yeah. was pretty easy to. It was an easy stage select. Oh so, yeah. Um, I remember my cousin telling me he's like, you know how to get through all the levels, and he would put it on and he would do it for me, and then yeah. I obviously memorized and did it myself. But it was one of those things where. Somebody had to tell you, I guess, back in the days before the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's what was so fun about games back then, is that there were all these secrets, and you were like, I heard that there are boobs in Mortal Kombat. And people go, well, I can't dispute it, so this guy's brother said he saw him. <laughs> and his dad works for Sega, so we have to know. He yeah. knows, he knows. <laughs> um, so, all right, so that's your favorite stage. Do, do you think it's an underrated stage, Starlight? I would say yes. I mean, do you... I, I don't know. Like, I don't really talk to a lot of people in the Sonic fan community. And, like, everybody's divided about everything in Sonic. Like, you could bring up one game and they're like, Sonic 06? Oh, that's a great game. And yeah. then other people are like, that's the worst game ever. And I, I think I agree with the... Uh, it's the one of the worst games ever. But, uh, <laughs> the, you know, there's it's divided opinions all the time. So I, I don't even know what would be underrated what would be overrated, you know? Yeah, I... I, I think maybe if I were to say Labyrinth or Marble was my favorite stage and those are underrated, that would be like an underrated stage, I think, and opinion. But my favorite, you know, to go with you is Starlight. I think it's underrated. I think it's a shame that they don't revisit it. Like, it would make a awesome track in, like, an All-Stars racing game. It would be a cool um, game to revive for, you know, like, Generations or Forces, but they didn't. Um, you got Green Hill Zone, it's... though. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so speaking of Green Hill Zone, what's your least favorite stage? No, we we like Green Hill in the context of this game. Um, yeah. What's your least favorite from these six? Marble, because it makes you slow down. Okay. Yeah. 
It's it's not the, would... the worst stage in the world, but like Labyrinth's pretty annoying too. So, mm. I'd play Marble over Labyrinth. Um, I I think I there's more instant deaths in Marble just because of all the lava. Because with Labyrinth, if you play it right, you you know you can find the bubbles and you're fine. But um, yeah, I would say Labyrinth is my least favorite. Uh, but both Labyrinth and Marble. I rarely replayed in the uh, cheat code, and Scrap Brain I rarely replayed just because it was difficult. So really it was Green Hill, Spring Yard, and Starlight I would play a lot. Um, and those were my favorites. Probably in order it would be Starlight, Green Hill, Spring Yard. So, there we go. Uh, <laughs> so anything else you want to say about the stages? No, I think that thing we covered it is only like, how many stages? Six. <laughs> yeah, that's like really short, but yeah. Yeah, no, no supersonic, you know, so we don't have to talk about that. Um, but uh, so since the original release on the Genesis Mega Drive, Sonic the Hedgehog has seen several ports from oh, modern boy. consoles and smartphones to handhelds and computers. We even saw reimaginings and remakes of Green Hill Zone in recent games. Yeah. So the ports are yeah, underrated well, for this game because there's so many ports, like. Is there anything you can't play it on? I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I it's not a talking point on here, but I did want to mention, I feel like people are way too down on ports of Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, it's a great game. You, it, it's never forcing you to buy it or play it. It's just giving you an opportunity to play it. I think people are upset because they're like, oh, why are you releasing Sonic? I really wanted to have, you know, Toe Jam and Earl 2. But it's like, of course, they're going to go for the most popular game they've ever released when they port something. Yeah. And and it's not like there's competing Sonic's Sonic the Hedgehog ones on a, a platform. Like, if it's, would you rather it not be on your computer or not be on your smartphone? Like, I, I don't know what the alternative is. Them not doing it. Like, so, I was gonna ask. Do you, you not? Do you not want a good game? I guess not. I was going to ask you, uh, what is your favorite version or port of this game that you think people should try out that never played it? The the Taxman and Stealth uh, iOS Android one, it's tough because it is my favorite, but it's only my favorite if you're like playing it on an Apple TV with a controller because it's, it's really hard to tell people that the best version of Sonic 1 is an iPhone game. And That's I true. really think it's a sh I think it's a shame that Sega, um, you know, let uh, you know basically Nintendo, um, uh, they, they did that. Well, we, we you know it's no secret they did that contract where they had three uh, three games that were basically Sonic was exclusive to Nintendo for three games, oh, and yeah. that contract stated as well that those um, that those games. While those games were going on, there could not be any other competing Sonic games, and that included... But iOS was not included because Nintendo was not in competition with iOS and Android, you know, mobile games. So basically, they couldn't port those games to consoles because it would be basically Sonic games releasing on hardware that wasn't Wii U. Like, how shitty is that? Come that's on. like that. That's pretty shitty. That's super shitty, and it's like, you know, you know we're... we're you know, we're clapping our hands and saying, ah, oh, Sonic Mania is awesome, but we're forgetting that there are two 
excellent ports of Sonic 1 and 2, which, as much as I love Sonic Mania, nothing will be better than Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and Sonic 2, in my opinion. So we have really great ports from the Mania team of some of the best platformers Sega has ever designed, and they're only on mobile phones. And it's like, I know that like five years have passed, but can we please have them on <laughs> consoles and yeah. PC? It's kind of like on. it's kind of like they're leaving money on the table there because like the work's already been done. Yeah. So just put them on the Switch, on the uh, Xbox One, on the PS4 and PC. I think it's already on. No, it's not on PC either. So there you go. Yeah, and free and money. it's like, and I know that some Sega. Okay, I'm getting a little soapboxy here, but like <laughs> Sega will do this thing where they're like, they'll be like, well, that window of opportunity is gone. And it's like, no, Sonic is forever. Like Sonic One and Sonic Two are evergreen titles they're never going to get old so just port them now to pc because you don't have a uh, a contract going with nintendo so release them to ps4 xbox one switch um my, my hope is uh-huh on everything on everything yeah and my hope is that we're not getting a physical version of sonic mania yet because what they're going to do is they're going to release a like sonic jam not, not, not like super elaborate, but basically be like, all right, you're getting a physical release of Sonic Mania, and we're also including uh, the remasters of Sonic 1, Sonic 2, and Sonic CD. And we're not getting three and Knuckles because, you know, there's stuff going on with those. But, at the, you know, that would be a great release. Imagine a little uh, uh, sour Switch game that uh, has those four ports on it. Like, that would be great. That would be great. And Sonic Jam is a diff another pretty good uh, collection of classic Sonic games. Yeah, yeah. I would say, like, me personally, I prefer playing the cartridge uh, on the Genesis, but definitely the uh, the Saturn version of, you know, with Sonic Jam uh, using S-Video looks really nice. Um, so that, like, in terms of old school, those are my choices. And then new school smartphone. Uh, version. Sadly, smartphone. It kind of sucks to play. Because there's so many cool um, Easter eggs. Like, we were talking about uh, his water, his fear of water, and they actually worked in the, um, like, water, underwater goggles that were a scrapped concept. And I'm trying to think what else. There's a lot of, like, cool behind-the-scene things that never released that they snuck back in. Um, probably much to the uh, anger of <laughs> Azuka. Like I'm sure they did not approve some of those things. Okay. I mean, we had we had Donkey in in Mania. So, so now that we know the best way to play okay. it, it on ports, what is the worst yeah. way to play this game? The like, Game Boy Advance version. Yeah, I would have to agree. I remember when that came out, everybody was freaking out about how like Sega literally just screwed up like totally. Like, how can you release a product that bad? That was like the yeah. big thing, yeah. Now and then probably runner-up would be the original iOS version, which was sadly kind of like the new. Um, I don't know. I won't. I won't be that mean. Like, uh, yeah. Lazy. <laughs> yeah, the original iOS. Yeah, it was lazy. At least with Sega Forever titles now, like they're putting a little more effort into them. Um, I I kind of want to see what Sonic One in the Sega Forever um, style would play like now on, on their and compare it to the Taxman version but they're not going to do that because the Taxman version is now Sega Forever so whatever and uh, and we is there talking, another one we're talking about the cartoons of 91 right 
Yeah, so so basically what we do every episode is we, to put everything in context, we talk about uh, popular movies and games of that era. However, we've already covered 1991 in another episode, so we're going to be talking about cartoons that were popular in 91. And I think it's fitting because Sonic is kind of a cartoon character, and he was influenced by cartoon characters. So here's what the, the kiddos were watching. So we have Doug, <laughs> Rugrats, Tasmania... The Disney Afternoon lineup. Uh, I think Darkwing Duck was the big one at that point. Um, Super Mario World, the TV show, and then Captain Planet. Did you watch any of these? Uh, yeah, well, I didn't have cable that much growing up, but like when I first got cable, one of the first shows I ever watched was a Rugrats episode. And I was like, yeah, mm. cable's a lot better than regular TV for sure, because like Rugrats <laughs> is probably one of my favorite shows growing up. Um, Doug oh, wow. was really good, um, and I watched Captain Planet in the morning before I went to school, but, like, I didn't think it was that great or anything. It just wasn't mm. for me. It was like recycling. It's like, oh, recycling sucks. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I, I, I put Captain Planet there because, you know, I, I always like to draw some connection to the game we're talking about. And obviously, you know, Sonic... They really pushed environment. They didn't really push it, but there was definitely a theme of environmentalism uh, in For those sure. games where Eggman was destroying the the, the planet. Um, I think later games made it more apparent, but, you know, pollution. I think Sonic 2, it became real clear. Um, but, yeah, so Captain Planet, and it was, it was a thing at the time. And I, to be honest, I think it should be more of a thing now because I think the planet's more fucked now than it was then. Yeah, I um, agree with you there. I, I mean, the... The way that Captain Planet handled it, I thought was kind of lame. But the way that Sonic handled it yeah. was more of a like, it wasn't in your face, basically, like Captain Planet was. Mm-hmm. Sonic CD, I think, was more in your face because that was like, look at the bad future, look at the good future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Super Mario. Mario had his own TV show at this time. I've um, never seen it. I wa- I didn't. I didn't regularly watch it. I caught it from time to time. I I think the I, you know I I'm not a huge Nintendo fan. I I always thought the Mario cartoons were pretty bad. I like the live action segments though. Um, <laughs> really? They, I thought they were funny. I liked he was like hey hey Luigi we got someone at the door. It's Count Dracula. <laughs> you know um, <laughs> that that wouldn't fly today anymore, right? People would just call it racist. I, I guess so. Well, yeah. Um, but I, w- I was really into Disney Afternoon, I think, of all the ones. Um, I love those shows. Uh, I had the cassette tape with the soundtrack on it um, for all the Disney Afternoon shows. I think my well, favorite I'm... one was DuckTales, probably. Yeah, I've seen, I saw DuckTales. Um, they had uh, the Rescue Rangers, I'm thinking. And yep, Rescue Rangers, uh, and Darkwing, Darkwing Duck. Duck. Um, it wasn't until later that it got a little, uh, you know, with like Quack Pack and, yeah, um, like I think Disney, I think Aladdin had his own TV. Sh- yeah, Aladdin did and Hercules. Eh, I wasn't too into those. I like the early ones. Gummy Bears, Gummy Bears was good. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen uh, it, that show, but yeah, Tasmania. Um, I don't remember the show that much, but it did have a Genesis game, it which did. I believe. Yeah, and the cover art I think was done by Greg Martin, who did the American Sonic cover art i think i think he did the tasmania one so uh i i think some of the best cartoons were from the early 90s so it was definitely a turning point i didn't even mention like tiny tunes 
was on then too, and so that was kind of when the whole Warner Brothers uh, animation really started to Take return. Off. And then yeah, and then we had Bat- uh, Batman the Animated Series, Animaniacs, Freakazoid. Um, so you know, um, but yeah, I mean Sonic was right there making his debut alongside a lot of really popular characters. And I mean, you look at now, Sonic's just as old as. I guess Rugrats and Doug, really. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, are we? I didn't know yeah. Doug was this old. I thought that it was more of like a mid to late '90s show. Well, it did come back. Disney acquired Doug. Doug actually aired June, July. So Doug aired just a few months after Sonic came out. So Doug and Sonic are pretty much the same age. But um, I think Doug Doug actually ran for ten years. Crazy. So. Yeah, so we've we've really grown with Doug, really. Um, <laughs> Rugrats, I think, ran even longer. It, I think it was still running as of like five years ago or something. But wow. um, yeah, they took breaks. They took because I remember people were going, "Oh, Rugrats has been on TV for twenty five years or something." But it's like, yeah, but they weren't on TV for five years. So does that really count? Yeah, that's, um, that's true. <laughs> that's cheating. Uh, Let's talk about the games of 1991. So we probably covered a few of these in our previous 1991 episode, but we're going to be comparing them in context to Sonic. So some of the popular games releasing in 91, Battletoads, Mega Man 4, Toe Jam & Earl, Bart vs. the Space Mutants, yeah, Super Mario World, which, um, yeah, was releasing that year, and then uh, I, I threw this on here too, Super Mario 3, which released in Europe and Australia. I had no idea that the Mario games had such a long wait for Europeans. Like, they're just getting Super Mario 3 in 91. And maybe that's why Sega was pretty popular in Europe, because maybe they didn't make them wait. Yeah, I I was looking at the Mario release times. Super Mario World came out in 92, and already in Europe, they... That's why Sonic, I think, was such a big success in Europe, really, was because Nintendo didn't really care... Like, they yeah. definitely weren't like, let's do a worldwide release and get everyone on the bandwagon, um, which really helped for Sonic. Well, Sonic, he, he didn't come out to Japan right away, did he? I don't think he did. But, um, yeah, so what do you think about these games? What are your favorites? What are your least favorites from this list? I think at this point, Battletoads has become kind of like a meme where it's like, you you have Battletoads when you call up a retro store or whatever, and then everybody laughs. Yeah. Um, it's, an, it's, a, it's a good game for the NES and what the NES was capable of doing. Uh, yeah. Super Mario World is a good game, I think. Um, Toe Jam & Earl is probably more underrated. I really like the soundtrack in that game. And, yeah. um, but I, I'm surprised you put uh, Bart... Versus the Space Mutants, because I actually rented that game as a kid. And it's yeah. because, you know, it was Simpsons Mania. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, Simpsons game, easy, right? Man, terrible game. <laughs> terrible. Like, all the tie-in games for the Simpsons weren't that great. Like, the Konami one was the best one. Yeah, and, and that was only in arcades. Exactly, yeah. That sucked, because but... I pumped so many quarters into that game. I, I put Bart on here um, in part because I like The Simpsons, but also I think it's it's an interesting thing to look at because Bart has, like Sonic, like they're two very different characters, but Sonic and Bart have great character designs. Um, I mean, obviously both characters have been popular for, I mean, Simpsons now 30 years, uh, Sonic 25 plus. So, um, but you look at it and it's, it's proof that a cool character and a cool design cannot carry 
a bad game. Like, <laughs> Bart vs. the Space Mutants is a bad game, and I know most kids who would rent it, I mean myself included, then be like, right. mm, I'm not buying this, this is bad. But, but like, do you think they made a lot of money off that game? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's I don't, I don't think I, I, I only own it on NES, and I bought it recently. But as a kid, I was a huge Simpsons fan. I didn't buy the games because I knew they were bad. So, I was not buying based on uh, the the franchise or the character designs. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm better than other people. Uh, but. Um, yeah, I, I think the Mario thing is really interesting because Mario World released... Did it release after Sonic? I think it's interesting here comparing the Mario games that were available in different regions, as we've already touched on. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, of all these games, I would say Super Mario World is the one that comes closest to quality for Sonic. I don't know much about Mega Man 4. Is that a good game? It's an alright game. It's just uh, I thought three was better, but it's yeah. one of those things where they kind of like milked the Mega Man NES games for as long as they could because they were making yeah. the money off of each one. But yeah, it's one of those. It didn't have the improvements that like Sonic had from each sequel. Hmm. Mm. Well, I think Mega Man Four is probably better than Sonic Four at the very least. I would agree with that one. <laughs> um, and then I guess the last talking point for us before we we'll, we'll read some of the tweets too. Um, I saw that you posted out on Twitter people asking for their opinions. And Sega um, Forever but... retweeted it. Thank you, guys. Oh, there we go. Okay, thank you. I have nothing bad to say about Sega Forever. Never. Never. Um, no, I like them. Uh, but um, name one thing that Sonic 1 did better than any Sonic game since. They didn't have Tails. No, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, It's kind of hard to think of that, right? Because, like... I feel like they did improve almost everything. I'm pretty sure you already have something to say, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know you do. Um, no, I don't have anything to say. I can't, I can't. I can't even think of one thing. So I would have to pass the mic over to you. Well, I know people always talk about how Sonic 2 improved things. It was faster. It had the spin dash. Blah, blah, blah. But I feel like what Sonic 1 did better than any Sonic game since is that it kept it very simple. And I think, as much as I love Sonic 2, I mean, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, you had the lock-on thing, Sonic Adventure, you had the Chow Guard, you know, blah, blah, blah. like, there has not been, I think, a Sonic game since that has really been so good, so high in quality, and so simple at the same time. That's I mean, that's my opinion. And that's pretty good thing to close it up to, right? And Yeah. The, the ending song... Should I read some of these tweets? Yeah, you should read some of the tweets while the music plays. <laughs> oh, I can hear it now. Um, so uh, let's see. We have Dominic Joe Miller, who says, The drowning music put so much fear into me that it was the only appropriate choice when I came to set a ringtone for when my mother calls me. That's nice. Um, William Escobar says, The special stages, they were so colorful and mesmerizing. Playing them were fun. Okay. Uh... Fizz Fenix says playing it on the Mega Drive and screaming at the TV at a young age for him to go faster because I was demanding the little bugger <laughs> demand I was a demanding little bugger at the age of six who was too good for blast breast blast processing apparently boy uh, what a tweet um, <laughs> uh, Blue Collie says getting game overs on the first boss yeah that's is that a good memory um, it's uh, a memory. It's a memory. TPM with just Mikas Onika 
or uh, Technoplasma M, says the up button was actually useful for once. What's that? I guess looking up. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 helped. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh, Teddy Kong, our man Teddy, Starlight Zone, magical. So I agree. Yeah. Um, we have Drake Kylock. Sounds like a comic book character. Maybe it is. Uh, forever struggling with Marble and Labyrinth Zone, but otherwise the game still holds up despite Sonic 2 and 3 and Knuckles being much better. Sonic 1 is fairly challenging and has a balanced mix of platforming and urgency to complete an act of a zone. And I'll read a few more here. We have Moe's who says, I remember playing it after I played Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for a few years and kind of thinking it sucked. Uh, thanks, Moe's. Um... Liquid X says drowning, pure nightmare fuel in game form. I would agree with and that. And I, I think that's a good good place to end. So um, thank you everyone for uh, watching and or listening. You can find our show on iTunes. You can find it on YouTube. Um, on either one, subscribe, leave high scores, thumbs up. It always helps us. Uh, we really need some five-star reviews on this show because, uh, I mean, who doesn't? So if you are listening, stop what you're doing and give us a positive five-star review and give us your thoughts. Goodbye. Bye.